Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All you spooky bitches, thanks for tuning in to Morbid Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. I will be bringing you the most heinous, shocking, morbid crimes with a side of paranormal on occasion to fix all your morbid curiosities. Trigger warning, this podcast will not be for those that do not want to hear all, and I do mean all, the details of a case. I hope you enjoy and stay tuned Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and see photos related to our cases. I must warn you, some of those are not going to be for the faint of heart. Again, trigger warning, there will be crime scene photos on occasion. So don't forget to check us out. First episode of Morbid Curiosity, a true crime podcast. Thanks for sticking around, joining me. My name is Nicole. I am a true crime podcast junkie. I listened and have listened to over a hundred or even a thousand hours of true crime podcast. And I am always interested in hearing the full case. I don't like to have details missing, whether it be of the crime, the evidence, background info, trial. Uh, So that's what I am mainly going to be providing for you guys. So trigger warning, there will be some gruesome details in all of these episodes if provided by any of the police reports, news, um, etc. So hang in there. If you don't want to hang in there, please go find another lovely podcast that will not be talking about any of the gruesome details as we will be. So a little bit about myself. Uh, As you know, true crime fan. I love to sit at home. I have three cats. I had one um, orange tabby. His name was Nugget. He passed away, unfortunately, at one. They think it was cancer. I have a brown tabby named Luffy after One Piece because that's what my fiance wanted to name him. We have a black and white tux who is Mushu. I thought he was going to have kind of like a fiery personality I was wrong he's a scaredy cat (laughs) so he literally like runs uh away all the time hates to be held hates to be touched he loves it at nighttime when you're not paying much attention to him like he'll sneak up and cuddle with you but other than that he's just like fuck you so which is great you know cats and then we have a little gray tabby named Leo who also Tricked us into adopting him because after Nugget passed away, we were like, eh, we kind of miss having a baby that loves us because the other two were just kind of like, fuck you, thanks for the food, have a great day, uh, you can pet me occasionally kind of thing. So, we went to go adopt his sister who was also there at the rescue center and this little fucker climbed in the cage and just sat there and would not get out. So, my fiance was like, um, I, yeah, I think he's meant to come home with us. I was like, mm, yeah, you're right, cool. 
we get him home, he stays lovely for about a month, and then he's like, yeah, fuck you, yeah, mm-hmm, play with me, feed me, touch me, don't hold me, I'll meow at you, so, we're back in the boat of, you know, not having a cat that wants to be clingy, so, that kind of sucks, but, anywho, enough rambling on, um, I hope you guys enjoy the podcast, um, I, unfortunately, I will provide trigger warnings just because I am a nice person, but if I don't provide them all the time, just know that, like I said, it's going to have some gruesome details. If you don't want to hear gruesome details, please, you know, tune away. I hope you, I hope you enjoy the show. So we'll get started. Also, uh, please excuse the horrible audio I'm in the midst of, like I said, being a new podcaster. I'm going to try to get some nicer kind of setup eventually uh, once money allows it. But until then, this will be on my iPhone. Um, I don't have a microphone, so I'm sorry if it sounds horrible. But Catherine Knight, she was born October 24th in 1955. She was Australia's first woman to ever be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And she lived, unfortunately, in a really shitty childhood home. Very dysfunctional, very unconventional. And her mom, Barbara Rowan, uh, had been married to Jack Rowan. And they lived with him in Aberdeen. Uh, New South Wales, Hunter Valley, if that matters. But they were living in Aberdeen. They had four sons together, and then all of a sudden, she started having an affair with a friend of Jack's, like a co-worker named Ken Knight. Uh, The affair lasted, and both families were kind of um, in, like, put into this huge scandal because they, both families were pretty well known in that city. So, Barbara and Ken stayed together. They packed up, and moved to Maury or more. Uh, Jack stayed behind, of course, with his uh, two older boys of theirs. And the two younger kids got sent off to an aunt in Sydney. So, Barbara and Ken then had four more kids, including twin girls in 1955 in Tenterfield. And one of the, one of the twins, who was the youngest, was Catherine. So, in 1959, Catherine was four years old. Jack Rowan passed away, unfortunately. I don't really know why, what happened, but he did. And then the two older sons that were staying with him moved into the home with Barbara and Ken and their four kids. So, Catherine's dad was an alcoholic who abused Barbara. And this was reported by Barbara that he raped her up to ten times daily. Which I just want to say, ladies, even a husband, even a fiancé, a partner, uh, whatever, they can still sexually assault you. So, if you say no and your husband talks you into it and you're not feeling it, that is essentially rape per the law. Uh, You know, it's just, oh, well, technically the law is kind of fucked up, but per morbid curiosity law... That's a no-no. Don't fucking do that shit. Don't let that stuff be normal. That's not normal. Anyway. So, that unfortunately happened daily ten times, she said. 
So then she talked to her kids about it. So like Catherine and her sister, the twin sister. Uh, she stated that she hated sex and she hated men. Which is reasonable. Right? Reasonable. Um, but later Catherine tried to come to her mom for help. Because she had a partner herself that wanted to do some stuff sexually that she was not willing to do, that was not comfortable to do, and did not want to do. And unfortunately, her mom was a dick. Um, also, also, I forgot to mention, I cuss a lot. So, I'm sorry if that is um, not something you guys are down for. I'll try to, like, behave myself, but I do cuss quite a bit. Um, especially if I'm passionate about something. But anyway, so she tried to come to her mom and be like, hey, he wants to do something I don't want to do. It's not okay with me. Her mom stated, in quote, put up with it and stop complaining, end quote. With that, she later on was sexually assaulted by several family members. This was confirmed by other family members. Why they didn't intervene, nobody knows. And that happened until she was 11 years old. Although, like, her father was not one of the reported sexual assault assailants. Um, there was never any evidence the father was involved. And the family members that confirmed who the other people, you know, were that done that to her, her dad was not involved. So, we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but anyway, so... Catherine was close to her twin sister, of course, and the only other person that she was close to with her was her uncle Oscar Knight, and unfortunately, she lost him to suicide in 1969, which she said afterwards she had paranormal experiences um, with his ghost visiting her. I don't have any more details on that, unfortunately, because that is something that I also cover as paranormal stuff. But she said that, so they all moved back to Aberdeen afterwards that year, and then she was in high school at Moselbrook High, and with her peers, like the rest of the students, she was remembered as a huge bully. She bullied all the smaller kids. She even assaulted one kid, one boy, with a weapon, and then she was involved in an accident with a teacher or incident with a teacher. Um, which she was injured, but the teacher was cleared because it was in self-defense. I wish I had more details on that, but I don't. From what I know, the teacher was not, like, um, arrested or anything. I could be wrong. I couldn't really find anything about it. But she was a model student other than that, apparently. It was reported that she even got rewards for her great behavior um, besides <laughs> brandishing a weapon with some boy, because for some reason they just was like, oh, it only happened once, it's fine, kind of thing. But, yeah, she was a model student. She got awards. She was, like, noticed by the teachers of her behavior. Um, she did leave school, though, at 15, not knowing how to read or write. How that is, I'm not really sure. But she left. Um, she got a job in a clothing factory as a cutter. And then a year later, she left to do her, in quotations, dream job as a cutting up offal. And I hope I said that right because it's spelled O-F-F-A-L. And that's what I'm going to pronounce it as. Um, at a local abattoir, she was promoted to the boning section. 
um, which I could only assume would be like maybe corsets or like, you know, that kind of thing. Could be wrong. Didn't live back then. I don't know. I looked it up, but that's the only thing that I could find nowadays. Um, but after that, she got promoted. So, she was promoted to boning. And then she was given her own butcher knives. Uh, which she kept over her bed everywhere she lived. So, she kept, I don't know how many knives it was. I'm assuming, you know, back in the day, it was probably like, maybe like a four or five set. Could be wrong. But she kept it hanging over her bed everywhere she lived up until the day she was incarcerated. So, she always had them. And she stated, end quote, um, would always be handy if I needed them, end quote. So, she kept those things like they were a prized possession. That is for sure. So, starting her relationships in 1973, she met David uh, Kellett. I hope I said his last name right. We are going to call him David K. Because she has a pattern of dating the same dudes. So, like, David and David and, like, John and John. Like, we're going to do first name, last initial. Make it easy. So, David K. So, who, like her dad, was also an alcoholic. And David said it was because back when he worked, um, like before he met her, his best friend died in a shunting accident in front of him. And then later down the road, he saw a bus get hit by a train and he rushed over there, saved a bunch of people. But unfortunately, six children were um, killed in the accident. So not sure if he saw that or not, but either way, that seems horrendous to me to have to see. So, uh, in turn of that, though, because of that, he started drinking really heavily. He lost his job because of his behavior and lack of performance. And then later on, he found another job, though. Guess where that was? It was the same place, Aberdeen Abattoir, and became close to one of Catherine's brothers. So, they became friends. So, in Aberdeen... Catherine, he married in 1974, and per her request, which I thought this was kind of badass, but they arrived to their wedding on a motorcycle, even though David was, like, heavily intoxicated at that time, they still made it to the wedding, and once they arrived, Barbara, Catherine's mother, in case you forgot, pulled David aside, stating, quote, you better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. That means cheating. She'll fucking kill you, end quote. David stated this to, like, I'm assuming the press later on after everything came out. Like, they've had a few incidences. You'll We'll get to it, but he did state that to somebody. That she said that to him, and then that she said she had a screw loose somewhere to just kind of keep an eye out, really. So, on the wedding night is where shit hits the fan for David. He should have took that as a red flag and ran, but he did not. So, he didn't take it as a red flag and run away. Instead, after they done had sex three times that night on their wedding night, she tried to strangle him. And it turned out that she tried to strangle him because three times was not enough for her. 
some people are lucky to get like sex with their partner maybe like once or twice a week and this bitch is complaining for three times in a night are you kidding me (laughs) are you kidding me anyway so she complained she tried to kill him he was like "Eh, it's fine Eh, we'll we'll forget about it whatever (laughs) so obviously the marriage was already violent and when she was heavily pregnant with their first child together uh, she burned all of his clothes and shoes and whatever else of belongings and hit him over the back of the head with a frying pan. And this was be- reported because he was late coming home from a dark competition where he reached the finals. After he was hit, he fled although collapsing at a neighbor's house and they reported it i'm assuming and later he was treated for a severely fractured skull um he refused to press charges on this bitch refused it turned out that she had talked to him and was like being sweet and like being like manipulative talked him out of pressing charges after she broke his fucking skull. Ugh, drives me insane. Anyway, so she pretty much can talk anyone into anything. Uh, even as even as crazy as like hurting someone, whatever. She constantly was able to do this throughout her time. So he refused to press charges. She talked him out of it, and then by May 1976. The daughter was born that she was pregnant with when she did that. Her name was Melissa Ann. And then after that, David left her for another woman. Another mistake, David. But he moved to Queensland for that lady to be with her. The next day, Catherine was pushing Melissa down the road, you know, in a pram is what they used to call it. But she was, like, shaking it and, like, throwing it around violently side to side. Um, She then took Melissa, um, like, I don't know. I guess they were going on a walk. Uh, Yeah, she was, like, threshing her side to side. And then I guess someone reported it because then she was, like, submitted to St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth uh, where she was diagnosed with postpartum depression which is unfortunate and does happen to a lot of women. If you don't know what it is, please look it up. It is very real. Um, a lot of people are like, eh, it's just you being dramatic, but it's not. It is a real thing and it is sad. But she was there for several weeks before she was released after that. And then after being released, she took Melissa, who was then two months old, uh, to a train track. Took this baby, her own flesh and blood, to the train track. Laid her on the track as she knew a train was due to come at any minute. She then stole an axe, went down the road to like a little town. Threatened to kill a few people with the axe. Um, While that was going on, luckily this homeless man nicknamed old ted he was like foraging near the train tracks and everything and either heard or saw melissa ran over there picked her up and not seconds later a train came by 
So he literally saved that baby's life. So that's great. Good, good job, old Ted. Good job. So after that, though, Catherine again was arrested, taken to St. Elmo's, because God knows that worked the first time. She, in quotations, recovered and somehow was able to check herself out of this hospital, which is crazy, but she checked herself out. So now she was on a mission. She was on a mission to find David Kay. She even slashed a woman's face with her butcher knife. And luckily, that lady escaped after, like, they were on a train. They stopped at a service station. She got off. The police came, but unfortunately, Catherine was already gone. Um, They found her, though. She took a boy hostage with the same knife. It just wasn't on the train, uh, from what I understand. She was disarmed. Now, get this. She was disarmed by the police with broomsticks because they thought broomsticks was a good idea to disarm someone you know thought that was kind of funny but they they did they did they disarmed her um she was then sent to Morset a psychiatric place um she told the nurses her plan like her whole entire plan for while she was on the train and hurt that lady um she planned to kill the mechanic at the shop which car mechanic Um, because David's car was kind of messed up, and he had to get it fixed before he left to go be with that other lady in Queensland. He fixed his car, and she was going to kill him because he helped him, in quotations, escape from her. And then she was going to um, go to Queensland, find David Kay and his mom, kill them, and then, you know, she stated that, little bit down the road, David was informed by police. Um, and get this shit. Get this shit. He was informed that this woman was on a mission to kill him and what she had did. Guess what he did? He came right back to Catherine. Came right back to her. Took his mom as well. Took his mother. Took his mother. Took himself. Left the current girlfriend. Moved back to where Catherine was. She was released August 9th, 1984, into the care of her mother-in-law, of all people. And they all moved to Ipswich, I hope I said that right, where she got a job at Denmore Meatworks. So that was um, August in 1984. And then March 6th um, in 1983, Beforehand, they did have another daughter, Natasha Marie. So that's another kid. And then in 1984, Catherine eventually left David Kay after doing all that crazy stuff and moved back to Aberdeen. She returned to the work that she did before, but she injured her back while working. And the following year, she went on disability pension. Uh, which then the government gave her a housing commission residence there. So, like, David Saunders enters the photo in 1986. We're going to call him David S. As I said, she has a knack for having men of the same name. Uh, He moved in with her and her daughters that she still had custody of. 
Catherine and how she had custody of her kids after doing that stuff. I have no idea. Police suck sometimes. It just sucks. But he moved in with them. Catherine got jealous because uh, some of the stuff he did when she wasn't there, one can only know, you know what I'm saying, wasn't reported of what he was doing. She was pissed about it, though. So she would often, like, toss him out. And then she would do that whole thing of, oh, please come back, like, begging him to come back. And he would. Because, like I said earlier, she can convince a freaking wall to paint itself. Like, she she was very manipulative. People believed her. Um, May 1987, though. Um, and trigger warning, because this in particularly also disgusts me and pisses me off to the point of where if I saw her, I would punch her in the freaking throat. Um, not a threat, but, you know, just saying... Um, trigger warning. This is going to involve severe animal abuse. So, I'm going to give you the chance to skip ahead 15 seconds or 10 seconds, uh, to get away from the details here. Uh, I will give you a trigger warning for this one. So, give you a second. But she cut the throat of his two-month-old dingo pup right in front of his face. And the only reason why she did that was to make an example of that pup of what would happen if she ever found out he cheated on her. That really makes me upset. But she did. She did that. Um, Then, back with the frying pan, she knocked him unconscious. So, she knocked him unconscious with a frying pan. Um, June 1988, she had yet another kid, because God knows she needs more. That girl's name was Sarah. That was another daughter she had. Then they got a house, which, after killing your dog and hitting you over the head with a frying pan, why the hell are you still with this person? Some people just are addicted to getting hurt. It drives me insane. I don't understand it. But they got a house. And if you go on Google, you can see some of the house photos, which I did not post on Instagram. But she literally had this house decorated in animal skulls, animal traps, uh, boots, um, let's see, bullhorns, just everything. Pretty much a country home cracker barrel, pretty much, is how she had her house decorated. Um, It was reported that not even her ceilings were untouched. So, she had things hanging from the ceiling, the walls, everywhere. Every inch. Um, And after an argument, she hit him in the face with an iron. Don't know if it was on or not, but she whacked him upside the face with that. And then she stabbed him with scissors in the abdomen. Finally, David S. was like, you know what? Probably be a good idea to leave this person. So, he packed up, moved back to Scone, where he was from. Um, But, unfortunately, Mr. David S. came back and found that all of his clothes were cut up. Everything he owned was cut up. He then got scared shitless and went into hiding for a good bit. Time unknown. Not really sure how long. Excuse me, I had to take a sip of water. But... So, time unknown. We don't know how long he went into hiding, but he did. 
And then a um, little bit after that, he decided to come back out of hiding, went to go check on his daughters, and then found out um, she went to the police station. Like, Catherine went to the police station and said, oh, I'm scared of him. And got granted an AVO against him. Which, if you don't know what that is, it's apprehended violence order. She got granted that. And, yeah, that's pretty much the end of their relationship. Um, he pretty much left after that. And done whatever. So, um, then enters John Chillingsworth. Uh, this is going to be John C. for reference. They had um, a child together. Catherine and John C. in 1977, and it was a boy named Eric. Together, they were about eh, three years into the relationship, and then she had an affair with John Price, or John P. for reference. So, she left that John. She was like, eh, done with you, whatever. She moved on to John Price. Uh, John Price had three kids of his own, um, plus the 20 million other kids that freaking Catherine had with other people. Which ain't nothing with having, you know, nothing bad about having a big family. But when you're an abusive, like, crazy-ass parent, yeah, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> you don't need to have no more kids. But anyway, so John P. had three kids of his own. He was known by, like, some of his friends as a terrific bloke. Um, so, pretty much he was just loved by all he was married, but they diver divorced, divorced, I don't know what I was going to say. They were divorced in 88. Um, his two-year-old daughter stayed with the ex-wife, and the two older kids went with him. Uh, now, get this. John P. also knew of Catherine's past. All of what he knew, we are not sure, but he knew for sure that she was an abusive bitch. So, he knew what he was getting into. He just didn't give a flying shit. And he put his kids in with her as well. So, uh, don't worry. Nothing happens to the kids, though. Kids do not get abused. In fact, the kids actually liked her. Uh, reported by John, they actually liked her. Uh, she never did anything to the kids. She was nice to them. They loved her. You know, which is kind of odd because she couldn't even act right towards her own kids. But John P., he was making a crap ton of money because he was a minor. Um, and, like, I'm not really sure how many years he did that, but he was a minor. I, oh, I think it was, like, seven years, if I'm not mistaken. Seven-plus years he was a minor. He made really, really good money. Um, it was stated that apart from, like, violent arguments, their life in quotations, was a bunch of roses. So, she acted a little better with John P. Versus the other ones, abusing them right on their wedding night. They had violent arguments, but they said that was about it so far. So far. Don't get too excited. She's a monster, so. Um, what happened, though, in 98, they fought because he refused to marry her. Why he refused to marry her? I'm not really sure, but he refused to marry her. So, in revenge, this woman recorded, uh, whether with photo or video, items that this guy was taking from his workplace, uh, which turned out to be outdated med kits, which 
Maybe he thought they were still usable. I'm not really sure what was all in them. But she sent that to his freaking boss. Um, she sent it to his boss. The boss was like, dude, my hands are tied. I, I can't do anything but fire you. And John P. was then fired. The same day John P. kicked her out. He was in that job for seven years. I have a wrote in my notes. Seven years. She got fired. But months later, he went back to her. Don't know if she did that whole begging game or not again with this, this person as well. But she begged him, or maybe possibly, to come back like she did with the other people. Um, but he did not allow her to move in with him. Like, he was like, uh, no. Not living with me again. And then February 2000. Uh, so now we're getting into kind of current years. It wasn't that long ago. It was kind of freaky. But February 2000, multiple attacks happened to John P. Including being stabbed in the chest. He kicked her out again. February 29th. He got a restraining order against Catherine. And then that afternoon, he told his co-workers, if I don't come back to work tomorrow, Catherine murdered me. If you already know that, why you keep talking to this lady? That's, I mean, not to victim blame, but like, man, you got to protect yourself. You got to protect your kids. Like, you can't be having crazy people in there like that. But yeah, he he went home. Um, uh, You know, he found no one home, though. So, the kids, apparently, um, from what was told, got sent over to a friend's house for a sleepover. So, she made sure that nobody was home. He spent time at the neighbor's house, and then he went to bed by 11 p.m. Uh, Catherine, earlier that day, had brought, or excuse me, bought a black lingerie set and had videotaped all her kids' accrued will. Like, first off... <laughs> Why, why are you going to do that? You're, you're sending a video of, like, a, of yourself in lingerie to your kids as a will. Like, that's just kind of insane to me. But this whole thing's insane. So, at this point, it doesn't even surprise me anymore. But she did. She sent them a video or recorded them a video of a crude will uh, per the police. And then she came back to his place while he was asleep. Decided to watch some TV. Decided to take a shower. Woke him up for sex. Which, at that point, he wasn't like, how did the hell did you get in my house? You ain't living here. How did you get in my house? He No, he didn't do that. He was like, mm, okay. They had sex. He went back to sleep. Now, trigger warning. This is where all of the gory details are about to come from. So, well, also, <laughs> if you made it this far, you're here for the details. So... I'm going to let you stay, but just a trigger warning. She stabbed him while he was sleeping with one of her butcher knives. According to the blood evidence, it was suggested he woke up, tried to escape while attempting to turn the lights on. She chased him through the house. He got to the front door. He opened it, but either stumbled back in or was dragged inside. So, in the hallway... He bled to death, unfortunately. Catherine went and got $1,000 out of this man's bank account in Aberdeen. Came back. Now, the autopsy does show 
at least 37 stab wounds, both in front of him and the back of him, and it all hit vital organs. Um, so, like, several hours after he passed away, uh, this is where it's about to get some real gore here, so please bear with me or change now. This is your last and final warning. Um, several hours after he died, she skinned him, took his skin, which they described as a skin suit, hung his skin on a meat hook from the door frame to the lounge room, then went back to his body, decapitated this man, started cooking parts of his body in a stew. So she was serving his person up with potatoes, pumpkin, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy. She went to the dinner table, made a nice dinner set up, had notes. What was in the notes? Not really sure. But she had notes and wrote the kids, like his kids' name on them, put them next to the plates. Uh, police seemed to think she tried to eat some of this stew, but couldn't stomach it because it was thrown out in the backyard. Um, so they believe that she tried to commit cannibalism and she either got sick, couldn't, couldn't do it, or just threw it out. Um, so the reason why it's out there is still unknown. But um, his head was found in a cooking pot on the stove, which was still warm and it was still in the soup stew. Um, and it was around 104 to 122 Fahrenheit. So it was indicated that she started cooking him in the morning um, and left it on the stove, you know, to stay warm. So Catherine um, also left the body uh, with the left arm over a soft drink bottle. I believe it was like a liter soft drink bottle, um, in an attempt to defile him after death, demonstrating her contempt for him, which I'm not really sure how she thought that was like, yeah, you take that kind of thing, because it's like, that's not really, like, defiling? Like, I mean, it is, but you know what I mean, like, or I hope you know what I mean, like, I don't know, I've, I've heard of some really bad defilement of bodies after someone murders people and a soft drink bottle, eh, it was her attempt and it was stupid, so, she already defiled him enough, she didn't need to do that, but she left a note, um, on a photo of him, uh, that was also bloodstained, still covered with small pieces of his flesh, and it said, quote, Time got you back, Jonathan, for raping my daughter, Utebeck, which is Price's daughter, for Ross, for little John, which was his son. Now play with little John's dick, John Price, end quote. So she was accusing him of sexually assaulting and or raping uh, the kids, which never, 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 never was a proven fact. Police investigated 
they found nothing. So she practically made that up. Uh, in my opinion, I believe she's just not right in the mind, obviously, if she can do this to another human being. Rest his soul, like, holy shit, you know? But what, how, how she was caught, though, was at the end of all this, um, 6 a.m. comes rolling around. He told his co-workers, remember what I said a minute ago, hey, if I don't come to work, you know, Catherine murdered me. Murdered me. Uh, that's why I didn't show up, pretty much. And then he went home, and then this happened. Well, he was right. Coworkers got very concerned that he didn't come to work. They drove to the house, seen that his car was still in the driveway. They alerted the police, who then broke down the back door, found uh, what they found of him, and... Found Catherine comatose from taking a large dose of pills. What pills it was, I'm not sure. But she tried to dose herself up or make it look like a suicide. So then comes the trial. Because, you know, she was arrested, you know, booked, all that kind of good stuff. She rejected a plea that they gave her for manslaughter. She was arraigned March the 2nd, 2001. Charged with murder. She pled not guilty, though. She doesn't think she done anything. She pled not guilty. The trial was set for July 23rd of 01, uh, but a few of the council got sick, so they pushed it off until October 15th, 01, uh, 2001. We don't know my shorthand. But Justice Barry O'Keefe had offered 60 jury prospects to, like, leave if they felt the nature or photographic evidence was too much. Five of 60 left. And then once the witness list was read, several more left. <laughs> so, they either knew uh, some of the witnesses or maybe felt like, um, oh, well, like too close to it. You know, that kind of thing. They left. Um, so, they left. Catherine, the next morning, changed her plea to guilty. And then the jury, of course, was dismissed. Uh, Justice Barry O'Keefe had been made aware um, of her decision to plead guilty. So, he ordered her a psychiatric eval and adjourned the trial. So, he was like, she needs to go be looked at because this bitch is crazy. That's just me putting words in the mouth. He probably didn't say that, but, you know, we all thinking it. So, But her legal team, on the other hand, planned to say, eh, she had amnesia. Imagine that. She had amnesia. She doesn't remember anything that she did that day. She doesn't remember it. And she has dissociation. Now, some of the dissociation and amnesia kind of was supported by some of the doctors. But they still considered her sane enough to have a trial and to enter a plea of guilty. Um, two doctors or psychiatrists concluded that she had borderline personality disorder which I can, I can see, I can see. Um, but even with her guilty plea, she still declined responsibility. She declined that she knew about it. She declined that she did it and declined that she was guilty of it. She didn't do nothing. So at sentencing, her attorney required, she avoid, or excuse me, he requested for her not to have to hear details of her own crime of what she did. Because it makes her upset. 
you know, makes her upset. We don't want Miss Catherine to cry or be hysterical. And the judge also thought that. And he was like, you know what? Fuck that. You did this horrible thing. You're going to sit there and listen to it. So she had to. So she sat there and listened to it. Um, when Timothy, which I'm assuming either was a police officer, a uh, prosecutor, wasn't really sure of his role. But when he was up there on the stand talking about how she skinned this man, how she decapitated him and cooked him, she became absolutely hysterical. So much so that they had to sedate this woman for her to even get through, you know, like the day pretty much. So on uh, November 8th, um, Justice Barry O'Keefe pointed out the nature of her crime and the lack of remorse, obviously, that she had for it. Um, they sentenced her to life without parole, refused to fix a non-parole period, and marked her papers to never be released. June 2006, she had tried to appeal that, claiming, and this really is the icing on the cake of being pissed off at this lady, she claimed that the penalty she got was too severe for just killing someone. Of course, it was rejected. Good on you, justice system. For once, good on you. So, that's the end of Catherine Knight. Um, I did make an Instagram. Feel free to check it out. It is morbid, period, curiosity, period, podcast. It is long name or username. I'm so sorry, but it's the only thing they had available. Instagram's getting packed with podcasts. So, um, if you want to check it out, check it out. There's photos of Catherine. There's photos of John Price, the our victim. And there is a photo of the hallway where she did uh, have him bleed out and where he was skinned. Um, there's Obviously, I'm not going to do that to the victim. Um, but I'm not posting any um, after-death photos of our victims. I feel that is morally wrong. They deserve to rest in peace as much as possible because their last days, last days on earth were hell. Most of these cases, I can never imagine having to deal with any of that for my last day on earth. So, I'm not going to post any gruesome photos of our victims because we respect them. We're sorry that they went through everything. And hopefully their spirit's resting well now. Um, but yeah, so that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe. Please stay kind. Stay spooky. And for the love of God, don't fucking murder anybody. Have a great one, guys. Come back next time for episode two.